0: The
1: perfect
0: night for mystery and
1: horror. The air itself is filled with monsters. I'm all ears.
0: HPpodcraft.com
1: It happens that in the midst of the dissipations attendant upon the London winter, there appeared at the various parties of the leaders of the town a nobleman, more remarkable for his singularities than his rank. He gazed upon the mirth around him, as if he could not participate therein. Apparently, the light laughter of the fair only attracted his attention, that he might by a look quell it and throw fear into those breasts where thoughtlessness reigned. Those who felt this sensation of awe could not explain whence it arose. Some attributed it to the dead grey eye, which, fixing upon the object's face, did not seem to penetrate and at one glance to pierce through the awkward inward workings of the heart, but fell upon the cheek with a leaden ray that weighed upon the skin it could not pass. His peculiarities caused him to be invited to every house. All wished to see him, and those who had been accustomed to violent excitement, and now felt the weight of ennui, were pleased at having something in their presence capable of engaging their attention.
2: That was the opening few lines of Dr. John William Paladori's The Vampire in what seems to be a description of my co-host, Chad Pfeiffer.
3: <laughs> You're listening to the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast.
2: Here at H.P. I'm Chris Lackey.
3: I'm Chad Pfeiffer. Is that describing me because I'm noble and remarkable or because I just ruin it when people are having a good time? No. <laughs> that's because that's what Lord Ruthven does. He comes in there, people are laughing, he looks at them and they all... <laughs> Um, I've been that person. Somebody's making a joke like, that guy looks like Frankenstein. I'll be like, um, actually, Frankenstein's the name of the doctor, not the creature he created. So you guys shouldn't be laughing about that. I'm sorry.
2: I just figured you'd go, um, well, thank you, because he was a very handsome scientist.
3: <laughs> that would be another way to ruin it. Well, that would be the more <laughs> charming way. But let's not get started on Frankenstein's. This is March. And as we all know.
2: March belongs to Dracula.
3: March is for Dracula. Very special event as part of Monster Party 2014. We've actually got some partners on board who are bringing it to you.
2: That's right. This week, the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast is brought to you by Squarespace.com. I love this site.
3: Squarespace is an all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. And we'll say right now, if you want a free trial and 10% off your first purchase, you can go to Squarespace.com right now and use offer code HPL. Why do you love these guys?
2: Their websites are beautiful. It's really simple to use. It's not just a template. It gives everything a very Unique feeling.
3: Yeah, really good design. Easy to use, too, which is important to me because I'm not that bright, for one. And then also I I fear technology. This made me feel very comfortable. Everything's drag and drop. You can add content from your desktop. You can rearrange the contents in your page. It all makes sense. Simple user interface. And if you do get confused, they've got a really amazing support team that works 24-7. You can give them a call and they will help you out immediately.
2: Yeah, it starts off at $8 a month, and that includes a free domain name if you sign up for a year. So also, it has e-commerce platforms, so if you want to set up shop and sell things, you can do it quickly. And you don't need a credit card to start building your site. So you can go there, play around, mm-hmm. set up some stuff, and see if it's for you. Use the offer code HPL, and you get 10% off your first purchase.
3: And it's a way to show support for us.
2: This is a sponsor, so yeah. if you show them love, they're going to show us love back, and right. everybody's in love. So it works out. <laughs>
3: Speaking of reading, we've got uh, a literary sponsor.
2: We do. We've got a anthology book called World War Cthulhu, a collection of Lovecraftian war stories with illustrations yes. published by Dark Regions
3: Press. It is hard for me to read mythos stuff that's not for the show, but sometimes there'll be a, a cool extra something that makes it attractive to me, and I think this war theme gives it that focus. There's stories about the two world wars, the Cold War, the Mexican-American War. They've got child soldiers in Zimbabwe.
2: Yeah, I love uh, the, well, the first story in the book is by John Shirley, and it takes place in a future war. I don't want to say too much about it, but there's an alien invasion and it's not something that we've seen before. The solution to it is pretty surprising, so <laughs> I, I really recommend that story.
3: I assumed there was some King in Yellow. I went straight for a story called Cold War Yellow Fever, which was set in the Cuban Missile Crisis. Certainly satisfied what I was looking for. William
2: H. Pugmire, To mm-hmm. Hold Ye White Husk. It picks up from the beginning of the temple, where the soldiers are fleeing the boat and the Germans torpedo it. I think people that listen to this show are really going to appreciate
3: those. Yeah. Responses.
2: Bob Price, friend of the show, he's got a story in this anthology as well, and I totally dug it because it's about the Trojan War.
3: This book is not yet available, right? It's an Indiegogo campaign.
2: And you can be a part of it. There's many different levels to get involved. I am participating in it. Mm -hmm. I think you should too.
3: World War Cthulhu, a collection of Lovecraftian war stories with illustrations. Now, this story that we're covering today, this is our kickoff story for Marches for Dracula's The Vampire by Dr. Polidori, and this is really the template for the modern romantic vampire story.
2: he is. I was so excited when I started reading this and going, wait a minute. This is the first time that a vampire was a sexy, intense, good looking, mm. suave kind of, but totally evil yeah. kind of guy. Because in mythology before, vampires were like these corpulent, gross things that would come out of the grave and sneak into people's windows and drink their blood. And right. that was th- that's what a vampire was. And it's the first one where we get this type of vampire, which is now the standard yes. vampire. And has been for like the last 200 years. It's insane.
3: Yeah, it's really crazy. When you dig into this, you see all of the tropes are laid out for you. Including, you know, ways to defeat the vampire and that sort of thing are in here as well. But so let's get started with our vampire, Lord Ruthven, who was the character that was introduced there at the top. Now, who was our reader this week? Our reader is a good friend of mine, David Beer. Glad to have him on the show. I thought that was very well done.
2: Thank you so much, David, for lending us your sultry voice talent.
3: Definitely brought me into the world of the vampire. <laughs> and also, there's a great story behind the creation of this tale. You know, it was originally attributed to Lord Byron. And there's actually a story fragment that I read that, that this stole from. But oh. let's get to that at the end let, let, okay, let's okay. let's get through the story and then we'll talk a little bit about the creation of this and its relation to Frankenstein
2: so the story starts up with an interesting guy this Lord Ruth and you were saying he's cool cold sexy
3: yeah and even though he seems to hate everybody you know he's got that kind of thing but like we were talking about before where if people are laughing he'll kind of throw the gaze at them and they'll all stop (laughs) because he's got that weight to what he says they're still interested in him because he's so unique and a lot of women are throwing themselves at lord ruthven but he's been pretty indifferent to them nobody's really sure where he stands with women they'll see him just as often among virtuous ladies as they'll see him among you know ladies of the night and ladies of oh yeah he he spends equal time with both
2: and the story kind of shifts focus from Lord Ruthven to this guy called Aubrey. Now Aubrey was an orphan with his younger sister and they had lots of wealth and they had guardians to take care of them. Now it's really weird in the story because they never mention who or what these guardians are. So I'm Mm -hmm. just assuming they're Rocket and (laughs) (laughs) Groot.
0: What?
3: Oh, Guardians of the Galaxy. (laughs) Because they just
2: keep referring to them as their Guardians. Guardians. They don't say, like, it's a man or a woman, or if there's two of them or one or whatever. It's just a Guardian. So in my head, it's Rocket and Groot.
3: That is a legit take on this story for sure. Yep. But the important detail about them being Guardians is that... They didn't have anybody putting good sense into their head, being raised without parents. The the right. Guardians basically decided, really, our only job here is to make sure their money is safe. Uh-huh. Other than that, they didn't give them much of instruction. And as a result, Aubrey's a fairly naive young man.
2: Now, Aubrey's got this plan about going out and doing sort of a European trip, seeing the world and kind of getting some life experience under his belt.
3: Because of his naivete, when he first crossed his paths with Lord Ruthven, he really kind of Becomes infatuated with it.
2: I mean, this guy's super charismatic. There's something about him that people can't quite figure out, and it just makes him really intriguing.
3: Yeah, and because he's so withdrawn, you can put whatever you want on him. And Aubrey sort of turns him into this romantic hero in his head. He thinks this—he's mm-hmm. this very dynamic, educated, interesting guy. So the travel, you know, through Europe is something that everybody of his status is going to do eventually. He structures it in such a way because he—he he digs into what's going on with Lord Ruthven and finds that he's about to take a trip. So he sort of shifts his trip around, hoping that Ruthven will agree to go along with him. And lo and behold, he does. He does. I also thought this was an interesting way of introducing Ruthven's power over people. Because you really get inside Aubrey's head, but isn't it that he kind of seduced him without even trying? He... Put him into his thrall sort of yeah Mm -hmm. but Aubrey's clueless he just thinks well I'm moving my trip around for Lord Ruthven because I like him this is my decision to do that
2: yeah he thinks he's doing everything he's manipulating the situation so that he can get Lord Ruthven to go do this thing with him but in reality it's Lord Ruthven that's Playing with him exactly. Traveling with Ruthven, Aubrey really learned that Ruthven is into his vices. He mm-hmm. loves gambling, but he does it in strange ways.
3: He'll lose a lot of money sometimes. Yeah, and and not really care whether he's losing money or winning money. Always the same expression on his face. He's kind of a Duchovny kind of dude. You know, he's like, <laughs> you can't really tell what's going on back there. This section here where they describe the things that Ruthven is doing on their trip. We say this is the template for the modern vampire story, but I really feel that this is the stuff that's missing now. There are a lot of cosmetic things about the vampire that have carried through. The fact that they drink blood, that they have Mm -hmm. special powers, that they have special weaknesses, and that they have high emotions. They're apt to fall in love with people Mm -hmm. and cross oceans of time for them and all that kind of stuff. But this character of Ruthven is more of a vampire than in just the fact that he slakes his thirst on human blood. Yeah. He's a vampire and that he will figure out what is needed to give or take from you in order to bring you low. And he will give or take that thing from you. And we see this exercise through his gambling. Right. If it's a, a young, rich fellow who's out on the town, he'll go ahead and take all of his money. Just rook him. Destroy yeah. him. Right, So that, that he's out and he's penniless at the end of it and he has to go home. And
2: But if it's some kind of guy who's got a drug problem, he'll yeah. let he'll lose intentionally and let this guy have all this money. And then the guy will take that money and go buy drugs and <laughs> go wreck himself.
3: Exactly. And he gives charitably the exact same way. If he's walking down the street and somebody who's been brought low through their addictions or their licentious behavior asks him for money, he's like, here you go. Gives it all to yeah. them. But if it's somebody who maybe got their health insurance revoked and, uh, you know, right. through no fault of their own is on the street.
2: Yeah, he's like, screw help
3: you. Him. I'm not interested.
2: Because he's all about ruining people. But it's interesting because Aubrey doesn't really understand what's going on. He just goes, he's just strange. It's strange that he does these things. He doesn't go, it's flipping evil that he's doing these things.
3: Right. He sees it. He's like, this seems almost supernatural or something. <laughs> but he doesn't have a lot of experience with the no. world. So. For all he knows, it's just blind luck. He comments that his imagination begins to think maybe this is supernatural, but he doesn't believe that Ruthven is necessarily directly evil until he gets some notice from from Groot and Rocket Raccoon.
2: Well, first, their major stopping point is Rome. That's where Mm -hmm. they go, and they hang out for a while with this Italian countess, and Ruthven is creeping up on her daughter, something fierce. This is when Aubrey gets word from his guardians that Mm -hmm. Ruthven is just a really bad guy. He brings trouble wherever he goes don't hang out with him he chews up nice girls and spits them out he's totally into slut shaming and doing all that kind of thing he's (laughs) not
3: he's not cool it's true well that's you know because he left behind when he split people didn't realize it but he left behind a lot of ruined women yeah and the ones that he hooked up with after he was gone were just like fine it says since his departure they'd thrown even the mask aside and had not scrupled to expose the whole deformity of their vices to the public gaze so not only did he destroy the virtue of these women, he changed their personalities. They've stopped yeah. being good little girls. And now they're all in there. You know, they're Sandra Dee at the end of uh, Greece. They're not in the beginning anymore. <laughs> they're all in their leather, <laughs> tight black pants, uh, smoking. God bless them.
2: So Aubrey decides he's going to hightail it out of there. And he leaves a note for the countess telling her what Ruthven is up to and that he's yeah. creeping on her daughter and to watch out for
3: him. He uh, directly puts himself in the way of lord ruthven's victim he i think he thinks that he might get away with that without ruthven knowing but right the fact that he yelled at him about it and then left his company makes it pretty well, clear. So Yeah, he's,
2: he says this thing to because he kind of talks to Ruthven about it. He's like, you know, that daughter, she's really nice. Maybe you should not be messing with her or hanging out with her. Yeah,
3: what are you going to do when you go over there later in the night? Yeah. Because I know you're going over there and you're not supposed to. And
2: Ruthven answers that his intentions were such as he supposed all would have upon such an occasion. Mm-hmm. And upon being pressed whether he intended to marry her, merely laughed. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: he's a player,
3: dude. <laughs> it's funny because they've given him this character of being so distant and inscrutable and then when he does that it's such a player move what do you think i'm going over there for well art you'll certainly you'll marry her after you better what
2: no (laughs) which is funny because it's kind of the first real emotion we get out of ruthven yeah it's like he he laughs at this idea you know he thinks it's hilarious so evil i love it (laughs) He ditches Ruthven, uh, goes from Rome to Greece, Athens specifically. Mm -hmm. He takes up residence in a house and decides he wants to study ancient texts and history and, you know, that kind of stuff. So that's the kind of guy he is, Aubrey is. Mm -hmm. He's total square. He's not like windsurfing or meeting girls or going to dances (laughs) and stuff like that. He's collecting antiques.
3: He likes ancient places. He wants to uncover uh, living history in the places that he visits. That's what he's, he's which, unfortunately, is what he's going to do. Really, the
2: house that he's staying at, he's staying with a, a family. There is a beautiful woman there named Ianthi mm-hmm. or Eanthi. It's there's two different pronunciations of it, but I'll say Eanthi. She's just beautiful, like inside and out. She's just really sweet. She's really interesting. She's thoughtful. She's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And she goes with him on his antique roadshow, you know, and <laughs> checks out all the, the stuff that he's doing. And he just loves her company so much. And it's super evident that the author is super into her because there is a huge paragraph about how flippin' beautiful she is and how interesting she is. Yeah. It almost seems like maybe the author was basing it off of somebody.
3: Or it's the magic pixie dream girl. He just wrote in the thing that he wishes he had. I want some little native girl who skips next to me and she loves everything I love. She also serves a point in terms of plot.
1: And then, turning to subjects that had evidently made a greater impression upon her mind, would tell him all the supernatural tales of her nurse. Her earnestness and apparent belief of what she narrated excited even the interest of Aubrey. And often, as she told him the tale of the living vampire, who had passed years amidst his friends and dearest ties, forced every year by feeding upon the life of a lovely female to prolong his existence for the ensuing months, his blood would run cold. Whilst he attempted to laugh her out of such idle and horrible fantasies, cited to him the names of old men who had at last detected one living amongst themselves and after several of their near relatives and children had been found marked with the stamp of the fiend's appetite and when she found him so incredulous she begged of him to believe her for he had been remarked that those who had dared question their existence always had some proof given which obliged them with grieving and heartbreaking to confess it was true. She detailed to him the traditional appearance of these monsters, and his horror was increased by hearing a pretty accurate description of Lord Ruthven.
2: And was he convinced by this, by her tale?
3: No. No. Would you be? Probably not. Why wouldn't he be skeptical? The most he's seen is that there's been a lot of coincidences of bad luck in the wake of Lord Ruthven, and also that Lord Ruthven plays fast and easy with women's virtue all of which is negative but none of which implicates him as a is a vampire necessarily right. so even though she's suggesting that it does somewhere in the back of his head he's registering that that's true that's why his blood runs cold but
2: i need to stress he's so into this girl and <laughs> he is because he's considering marrying her and that's a huge deal because he's a rich englishman that yeah would be marrying a greek peasant and you know that would be a problem so he's like holding back his emotions to not get involved with her but he really wants to
3: she's kind of clueless about it though right she yeah she doesn't really know that he's into her she's too young and innocent yeah. to, to see that he he's saying why don't you tell me more about those antiques yeah <laughs> he's rubbing his own leg and she's just like oh sure dancing around <laughs> oh golly Strap so... of her dress keeps falling down the shoulder Whoa, Yandy, you know, getting undressed accidentally <laughs> I want to know more about this character of Aubrey. (laughs) Tell me, tell me more about the vampire. mm? (laughs) So young, you so Greek.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh God. So anyway, uh, he's on, on his whole antiques trip and he's going to go on this journey. Yeah. But it's going to take a long time. And if he's going to be out there all day, he would be coming back through these scary woods at night. And Anthe and her parents both say, don't go through mm. these woods at night. They're horrible. It, they say it's described as the resort of the vampires and their nocturnal orgies.
3: Well, hearing it from you is kind of scares me. But could you have the girls say it to me about the orgies? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus <laughs> mm. no, oh, saying. Mm. <laughs> yeah he doesn't listen to him though but see there we're getting that dracula towns people don't go down their stuff
2: but hey dude this predates dracula i know that's what's so remarkable about this story is like it feels like everybody ripped this thing off
3: i know well yeah it's because it's, it's well done so he goes off on his trip
2: and of course he sets off too late realizes it's getting dark and he's still in the woods so he tries to get the horse to go faster But it gets to be nighttime and... Storm
3: comes in too. Thunders rolling. Yeah.
2: And then a lightning strike happens nearby and it freaks out his horse. His horse goes running off into the woods, keeps running until he just gets tired. He stops, slows down, and they're by this old hovel or hut. And he's going to check this out.
1: Dismounting, he approached, hoping to find someone to guide him to the town or at least trusting to obtain shelter from the pelting of the storm. As he approached, the thunders, for a moment silent, allowed him to hear the dreadful shrieks of a woman mingling with the stifled, exultant mockery of a laugh, continued in one almost unbroken sound. He was startled, but, roused by the thunder which again rolled over his head, he, with a sudden effort, forced open the door of the hut. He found himself in utter darkness. The sound, however, guided him. He was apparently unperceived, for... Though he called, still the sounds continued, and no notice was taken of him. He found himself in contact with someone, whom he immediately seized when a voice cried, "'Again, baffled!' to which a loud laugh succeeded, and he felt himself grappled by one whose strength seemed superhuman. Dearly as he could, he struggled, but it was in vain. He was lifted from his feet and hurled with enormous force against the ground." His enemy threw himself upon him, and kneeling upon his breast, placed his hands upon his throat. When the glare of many torches penetrating the hole that gave light in the day disturbed him, he instantly rose, and leaving his prey, rushed through the door, and in a moment the crashing of the branches as he broke through the wood was no longer heard.
2: Full-On Vampire Attack
1: Yeah.
3: He had
2: like superhuman strength and everything.
3: Yeah. And he threw him down and put his hands around his throat. It was really a visceral scene. I felt it. It was the fact that it wasn't um, necessarily a supernatural encounter in that moment brings the, the actual physical weight of this encounter home to you. You know, the fact that you just threw him on the ground and beat his beat his
2: ass, basically. What the that light was, it's a torch mob shows up with their torches. They mm-hmm. illuminate the room. He looks over, sees the body of the woman, and it's Ianthi. No! She's got a bite mark on her neck, and there's blood, and she is dead. dead. And I think that is a good place to stop.
3: Oh, it's a tragedy. Before we jumped on the show, you talked about how you thought it was cool. They say, if you don't believe in the vampire, it'll be proven to you.
2: Yeah, yeah. It said, if you don't believe it, if you question its existence, you will always be given proof, which will oblige you with grief and heartbreaking to confess it was true. So it's like, you're going to (laughs) get, if you don't think that these things are real, they're going to come and they're going to make you believe. They're not going to kill you and take your blood no 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 they're gonna ruin
3: you
0: yeah
2: until you are crying your eyes out going i
0: believe in vampires
2: i believe in vampires." yeah
3: amazing and that's everything around ruthven is cursed the way that he would give money to people they'd be happy they got it but it would inevitably like the monkey's paw lead to their ruin this is the part of the vampire character in this that i think needs to continue to be exploited when people are writing about these characters it's it's not just that they're superheroes most most vampire things to me seem like superhero stories now It's people with extraordinary abilities having to deal with an ordinary world. Whereas this is so much more about a villain and a a character who destroys. And and he does it in all of these ways that people in real life can do that to you as well.
2: Yeah. It's pretty neat, too, because he's just so evil and he delights in it. Like, Mm -hmm. he laughs when he's killing that woman. He's laughing Mm -hmm. at her. It's so brutal. You know, I know it's kind of square, but I always loved the Emperor in Return of the Jedi is a villain.
3: Absolutely. Because right.
2: that dude loved being evil. Like he mm-hmm. had fun hurting people and being cruel. Like yeah. I, there's that part where he does that like, oh, I'm afraid the station will be quite operational when your <laughs> friends arrive. Like he's pretending like he's going to start crying. Yeah, he's
3: having the best time of his life. He's
2: <laughs> he's dripping with sarcasm. You know, yeah. it's just, Ruthven is that kind of guy where he just <laughs> loves being evil. He just gets That's the only thing that gives them pleasure, is ruining people's... And it's just so interesting and refreshing. And I think you're right. Modern vampire stories are really kind of missing that element.
3: Well, they get confounded with these love stories a little bit. I think the Coppola adaptation of Dracula is a great example. Yeah. You know, because if you read the book Dracula, he's a little more on the Lord Ruthven side. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He He makes one reference early on that, you know, I'm capable of love to the women. But that, you know, who knows what that means. What he's doing when he meets Mina, who is... And, and Lucy both. I mean, they're both, you know, Lucy is that Helen character. All the men mm-hmm. donate blood to her because they were all her suitors and he ruins her. But then when the men are after him and, and starting to get on his track, he makes Mina drink blood out of his chest. It's not because he's in love with her. No, He's basically raping her because she's the pure core of their group.
2: Yeah, no, he's completely evil. That whole love
3: story and, and that
2: Coppola thing, is just, I hated
3: it. Well, take, you know, pardon the pun, but it takes all the teeth out of it. It does. The fact he uses this monster that comes in and ruins the one pure thing they have. And in the end, when Quincy sacrifices himself to save Mina the burnt cross you know the the sign of, of her impurity on her head you know dissolves and he says it was worth it all for this and then in that movie they have him dying alone in the snow yeah why what was the sacrifice for so I think Coppola could have been well served to think about the themes and in, in this story yeah Coppola yeah that's the, one of the more asshole things I've done in my life like hey award-winning <laughs> filmmaker uh, I think maybe you need to listen to this podcast host before you make your next movie
2: Pfeiffer, I know you wanted to talk about the origin of the story as in how it was written, and you said that it was based off something Byron did. Now, I know about there was this summer where Byron and Percy Shelley and Mary Shelley and Mary Shelley's stepsister all hung out together. Yeah. And Dr. Paladori.
3: Yeah, that's right. I think it's a fairly well-known story, so I'm probably not surprising anybody with this, but this was the genesis of Mary Shelley's book, Frankenstein. Lord Byron, it was 1816, and Byron was uh, going to take a trip across Europe, and he wanted to visit Switzerland where he'd meet Percy Shelley and, and his wife, as well as, is it Claire? I can't remember her name. Yeah, Claire. He brought with him Dr. John Paladori, and they had reputedly a, a sort of rough relationship if you're going to make a long trip it's good to have a doctor with you so it wouldn't be uncommon for people to select a doctor who was kind of going along for the trip but he's also there just in case something happens right i, I think it was like polidori was a smart guy he was the youngest person to ever graduate with a doctorate from the university of edinburgh right he was a good conversationalist so that's sort of why byron had him along but when they arrived in geneva polidori did not like the Shelleys, or at least he didn't like percy Shelley. He sulked around. They were always talking about poetry and he couldn't quite dig on it. You know, it was like a right. bad situation, but there was this really nasty weather. By the way, I'm getting a lot of this from the Penguin Book of Vampire Stories, which was edited by <laughs> Alan, Alan Ryan. I picked this up in 1987, so <laughs> I dug it out because this is where I first learned about this whole situation. Right. That, that was called the year with no summer because the weather was so, so bad. They were spending time within the Villa Diodati, which is where they were all staying on the shores of Lake Geneva, uh, they were passing the time by reading ghost stories to one another and those come from some pretty interesting st- sources that we could talk about in future episodes because the mood and the circumstances they decided let's all write a ghost story i think it might have even been byron's idea right and this is when mary shelley dreamed up the the idea for frankenstein and started writing it actually the other things that happened it said uh Shelley, who had earlier written two gothic novels that he published privately, lost interest quickly, didn't write anything. Byron wrote out a fragment of a story. It says, poor Polidori, as Mary Shelley later reported, had a terrible idea about a skull-headed lady. I have to differ with Mary Shelley's opinion there. That sounds like an incredible idea.
2: (laughs) Yeah, dude, I'm on board.
3: A skull-headed lady? Sign me up. Anyhow, so much uh, more fighting happened. It seemed like it didn't end well. Skip ahead to 1819. Mm -hmm. The new monthly magazine was published and it had a story in it called The Vampire, which was said to be by Lord Byron. Mm -hmm. The story that we just read, they're started into here. Next month's issue, however, had this letter from Dr. Polidori in which he said, no, 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 that's mine. It's based on a story Byron started, but that he abandoned back in that summer in 1816. So that's basically the truth. And a lot of people say the character of Lord Ruthven was kind of a parody.
2: Yeah, based on Byron.
3: Of Lord Byron. Yeah, it was kind of a a dig on him. So that's how it came about. I read the story. It shares two basic common plot points. The first is that there's a young man who wants to hang out with this sort of inscrutable nobleman. In that story, his name is Augustus Darvell. Augustus Darvell is who would become Lord Ruthven in this story. But basically, the younger man adjusts his traveling schedule, hoping that the older man will go with him. So there's that commonality. Mm -hmm. And then they travel. As they're traveling, the older guy, uh, he gets more and more weak and sullen and when they arrive finally at this graveyard very far away he says i'm going to die here but when i die i want you to cover it up and i don't want you to reveal to anybody that i'm dead and that hasn't happened yet in, in the vampire but that is going to happen and that's the only other plot point that it really shares mm-hmm. so Paul Dory really ran with this and came yeah. up with a pretty cool
2: and it's the flipping writing it's really good writing
3: yeah it is this
2: is a really good story it's it's exciting to be reading something like this especially after camp of the dog <laughs>
3: Yeah, especially after that mess (laughs) at the end of Werewolf Month. But, you know, it wouldn't have been a werewolf month unless it ended with a big, dark, bloody mess. That's true. Now we're starting Dracula Month, Vampire Month, which is starting with a very seductive story that kind of draws you in and makes you feel good.
2: As a vampire story should.
3: At the end of March, both of us are going to be broke. We're going to be depressed.
2: And maybe dead?
3: Maybe dead. Or maybe vampires ourselves. I hope for the latter.
2: I can look at you finally with my vampire eyes. (laughs) I just want to let folks know that this is our free show of the month. If you want to hear more of us and to hear the second half of the coverage of this story, uh, subscribe.
3: Yes, please subscribe. We're at witchhousemedia.com or you can just link out from hppodcast.com. It's $6.66 every three months, which is two twenty two a month, which is nothing. And you get lots of weird fiction enjoyment for it. So please subscribe so you can hear the second half of the story. This free
2: episode is brought to you by our
3: sponsors. Squarespace.com, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website. If you go there now, you can use offer code HPL to get 10% off your first purchase. Please go. If you've been thinking about putting together a website, now is your chance. You can sell things. You can show things please do it at squarespace.com. It supports our show and it supports a great company.
2: And our second sponsor is World War Cthulhu, a collection of Lovecraftian war stories with illustrations published by Dark Regions Press. And it is an Indiegogo crowdfunding project. So you can get involved at a low end if you just want some digital versions of this stuff or you can go higher and get involved. And there's some great artistic things like you can get in on a high level. You can get a painting by one of the illustrators. and it's Oh, wow. Yeah, there's a lot of great offers on there. So go check it out. It's on indiegogo.com. Just do a search for for World War Cthulhu or link to it in our show notes.
3: 19 stories by some authors that we really want to support because they're doing great work. So please check that out. Now, this is Marches for Dracula's and we're gonna end the show. I normally don't play songs, you know, as we go out. If we do, it's from a band we know or it's something specifically related. But there is one track that I think is so appropriate to kick off this month. So I'm gonna send you all out with a song. It's by an artist named Desmond Decker. Folks in the reggae and ska community might know who he is, but this is a 1964 track that he put out called Dracula, and I think it is one of the most fabulous songs ever written. So I'm going to leave you with that. Thanks so much for tuning in. With that, I'm Chad Pfeiffer.
2: I'm Chris Lackey and you've been listening to the H.P. Lovecraft Literary
3: Podcast at H.P. One rainy night
0: As I was walking on the beach I met a girl Believe me folks, she was fabulous. I held her hands. She held mine too. She smiled at me. Believe me folks, she was a Dracula. So beware my friends. For she's pretty smart. i She said, come down, Zacchaeus, do I look like a Dracula? Oh, yeah, beware, my friends, for she's pretty smart. She has face like an angel, and that's like blazing fire. Her teeth is gruesome, ready to slick your veins. Fall in love. Father, she is a jocular. I said, Do not fall in love. Father, she is a jocular. I'll make it do not fall in love. Father, she is a jocular. (laughs) HPPodcraft.com